0: The judicial system doesn't really give a crap how important you think you are. The laws are the laws and no means no. And I learned that the hard way because I got arrested three times for... my So, first off, I just want to say welcome to the podcast. And before we jump into the episode, let me tell you a little bit about myself and what you can expect. I have been in the business now for coming up on 30 years. What we're going to talk about in this podcast are things that go on in my day to day life, whether it be as a manager, whether it be as a consultant, whether it be as someone who is creating products that's helping musicians all over the world. If there's something going on in the industry, we're going to talk about it. If there's a strategy that needs to be taught, we're going to talk about it, and if there's some way that I can help get you closer to your goal, then you are in the right place, because that's what we are going to talk about here on the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Now, let's jump into the episode. Helping you navigate the music industry, here's Rick Barker with the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. So at the taping of this episode, it is a couple days before Christmas, 2018, I am back uh, in California, where uh, I actually, I like to tell people this is kind of where I grew up, Uh, Santa Barbara, uh, got here in my early 20s, did my whole entire radio career here, uh, got sober here, met my wife here, had our kids here, really discovered who I was as a person here. Uh, was able to have a lot of success here, was able to make a lot of mistakes here. You know, uh, I had someone recently uh, respond back to me as, as I was reading your bio on your About section on your Facebook page, and I didn't realize that you were sober also. And it got me thinking of why I'm very open about my past. You know, there's a lot of people... That will do whatever they can to hide the past. You know, there's a lot of people that will do whatever they can to keep people from knowing uh, any flaws that they feel they might have or anything that could be uh, perceived as not cool. Uh, for me, it's it's directly opposite. And I got to realizing that there's a lot of people that have started following my podcast that I'm, I'm just meeting for the first time. There's a lot of people um, that come up to me. I didn't even realize how many people actually listen to podcasts. I knew I did, but I didn't realize just how many people in that wanted to be artists that were just, you know, smart, uh, business people that have nothing to do with music that just enjoy consuming podcasts. And I've had a lot of people come up to me this year and thank me for sharing my story. So what I want to do is I want to take this time. Uh, I feel as the year's winding down, uh, 2019 is going to be a fantastic year uh, for me and for a lot of you. Uh, I'm excited that a lot of you are allowing me to be a part of your 2019. Uh, super excited for those of you that have recently come on board and uh, have, have brought me in to be your uh, your coach. Uh, super pumped and excited about that. But what I want to do right now is I want to take this time to share a little bit about who I am and what brought me to this place of, of what it is that I do today. Uh, so if you know my story, uh, that I'm going to suggest that you, you know, go grab another podcast to listen to or, uh, or, or read a book. If you don't know it, uh, I'll, I'll, do the, the condensed version for you. But the goal for me with this is to show you that your past definitely does not define your future. And you, have complete control when it comes to getting yourself out of whatever situation that you're in. There may be some work that needs to be done, but you definitely are the one that's in control. So I grew up, uh, I was raised by a single mom. Uh, My dad uh, was back in California. My mom moved us out to uh, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. That's where I fell in love uh, with music and was first introduced to the music scene. I was uh, blessed to be around Uh, Fame Recording Studio and The Halls and a lot of uh, that great music that was coming out of at that time. It's there also where I fell in love with radio. I realized that I did not have the skill set to learn an instrument, the patience to uh, take lessons, and I realized, though, that music was a big part of what I did, and that's also where I think I developed Uh, my hustle, my willingness to go out and find talented people and start promoting them. I had one of the first mobile DJ company uh, in Alabama. So in high school, we were, you know, doing college parties. We were, uh, we were, we were, we were doing it we were having a great time. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, I was exposed to alcohol at a young age because I was hanging around with these parties, starting to get myself in a little bit of trouble. At 17, moved to California, and there uh, it kind of took a turn. Um, I say it took a turn for the worse, but that is what I'm going to share with you in the next couple of minutes is what changed my life forever. Uh, when I was 18 years old, I was introduced to crack cocaine and I ended up staying high for almost three to four years. I lose uh, kind of track of the time there after a while. But, uh, I was, I was, it was in the eighties. Uh, the hair bands were real popular at the time. Like I said, I've always been an entrepreneur. So I felt that, you know, if they needed you know drugs and girls that I was a DJ at a strip club and I also sold them drugs so yes for a short period of time in my life I was actually a drug dealer as well Um, fortunately for me I think I learned a lot of uh, problem solving uh, being a drug dealer not necessarily you know encouraging people to go down that road but you learn a lot of hustle uh, it's also, you know, a lot like the music business. You give people a little taste. Hopefully, they enjoy it and they keep coming to you uh, for a long time in order to get their product, your product, their being the music. So, there are some uh, correlations that go along with that, but I digress. So, on April 4th, of 1989, after being strung out on crack, and uh, I got on my knees and I asked God to let me die. I was, uh, as I like to tell people, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I just, I felt hopeless. I felt that uh, I was too scared to put a gun to my head. I was too scared to take my own life. But I thought maybe, you know, if I just prayed hard enough that God would be so disappointed in me that he would take me. Um, Well, he didn't. And I woke up um, after I I did that prayer. I went to sleep. And when I woke up, I have not had a craving uh, for cocaine or drugs uh, since that time. I never thought I had a drinking problem. I used to drink so I could drive. I was so high, but I never thought alcohol was a problem. Uh, Got sober six months into my sobriety. um, I went and applied for a job at a radio station and was hired at Kiss FM in Los Angeles, uh, answering the phones. And I went on and a year later, ended up getting my first on-air gig in Santa Barbara, California. Moved to Santa Barbara with a little over a year sobriety. And it was one of those things where my AA sponsor says, you know, there's some great sobriety in Santa Barbara. Go find a meeting. I got to Santa Barbara at 24 years old, single, in a town with, you know, three colleges on the beach and I'm on the radio. And my ego uh, got the best of me. Uh, I went to a party. Somebody offered me a drink. I took it, offered me another drink. I took it. And the first night that I drank, after being sober for a little over a year, I ended up getting my first DUI and I chalked it up to bad luck and continued drinking and shortly after that got my second DUI and then I said screw it, I can't even drink. So I uh, ended up having one beer one night, waiting to turn myself in for 17 days to, uh, for the second DUI. Uh, I ended up getting my third DUI only having a couple beers cause the first, the cop that gave me my first DUI saw me driving, knew I wasn't supposed to and gave me my third. So I got my third DUI at 30 days and realized that alcohol probably was a problem because people, uh, who it's not a problem for don't seem to get arrested and I couldn't stop getting arrested. So, uh, on March 17th, 1992, uh, that is my sobriety date. Uh, that is also, um, the first day that I was spending 17 days in jail uh, unfortunately that would not be the last time that I went to jail but it was uh it was a very eye-opening experience for me it made me realize that uh, I never wanted to go back but I thought the problem was alcohol so I figured if I eliminated that problem I would never go back to jail uh, unfortunately I didn't realize that uh The judicial system doesn't really give a crap how important you think you are. The laws are the laws and no means no. And I learned that the hard way because I got uh, arrested three times for violating my probation, driving on a suspended license. First time, you know, get the little ankle monitor. Uh, Second time, got the ankle monitor. And then the third time, the judge realized that obviously the leniency wasn't working. So uh, I got sentenced to 11 months in uh, county jail here in Santa Barbara, and that was devastating to me because I, I felt, and I shared this story with my son recently, that a lot of times if the consequences aren't severe enough in the beginning, uh, you may do something a second, a third, a fourth time, and that's what happened with me. Uh, the consequences weren't severe enough. I could handle um, having to, you know, be drug tested For 30 days because I knew I wasn't going to be doing drugs. I knew I wasn't going to be drinking. Drinking wasn't the problem. Drugs and alcohol were but a symptom. The problem was is that my personality and my ego felt that I was better than everyone else. And for me, I had a judge that kind of let me know that that wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, I ended up uh, getting, like I said, sentenced to 11 months in jail, had a date to turn myself in. I chose not to turn myself in. On that date and a warrant was issued for my arrest I guess I thought it would just magically disappear and it didn't and uh, in October of 1995 I was arrested while on the radio and was removed from my shift and taken into the Santa Barbara County jail and I would remain there for uh, the next four months and it was those four months that absolutely changed my life forever uh, I realized at that point that all men are created equal. I realized what it was like to have all your privileges taken from you. I realized at that point how fortunate I was to be alive. The fact of the matter that I had people in my life that cared about me. And it was at that point where I made a conscious decision that I was going to do everything I could at that point. To not only turn my life around and try to help as many people as possible. You see, when I got arrested, I was the number one disc jockey in Santa Barbara. So it was uh, a news event. So it was on the front page of the paper. It was on TV. It's like my little community and my world knew my story. So what was there to hide from? So I was going to use this as an opportunity to let people learn from my mistakes. And I was going to be open about my mistakes. So. Um, It's just one of those things where uh, sometimes we have this revelation in our lives. Sometimes we need to get smacked down. Uh, Like I said, sometimes we need to go backwards in order to move forwards. And that's exactly what needed to happen to me. When I got out, uh, I got back on the radio. I started attending meetings. I was very active in the community. And it was at that point that I started really becoming a problem solver. I started asking a lot of questions, and I ended up uh, getting involved with country music. I was invited uh, to start a country music station uh, right above Santa Barbara in the San Inez Valley uh, called Crazy Country, and it was here that I started getting introduced to folks at the record companies, and it was here that I started, once again, like I said, asking questions and solving problems. I created a program called the Nashville U Radio Tour, which got artists paid on Radio Tour, which helped them develop, was able to, you know, be involved early on in the careers of Sugarland and Little Big Town, and uh, got on the radar of Scott Borchetta at Big Machine Records. Scott ended up hiring me at Big Machine Records, to uh, be a West Coast regional promoter, which was awesome. I had about 70 radio stations in nine states that I was responsible for, Um, was able to get out on the road, start meeting people. And early on in that job at Big Machine is when uh, I was given Taylor and the responsibilities to teach her uh, radio and teach her the early side of the business. And it was at that point that we absolutely... uh, just kind of, it, it was, it was good for both of us. You know, as many people have said, uh, early on is that her and I were too dumb to know any better. We just knew that there was a lot of people out there and we knew that there was this thing called the internet, which can allow us to get access to them. And we just went and did things different. That's what we did. And that's a whole nother story for a whole nother podcast. But I was, uh, blessed to be asked to be her manager. She was uh, my first management client ever. I had no previous management experience. Everything I learned I learned by doing and then I realized that management just wasn't for me Uh, a lot of the things that come along with it it's not all tours and and shows it was a lot of being away from the family it was a lot of uh, trying to fix situations that you know you had zero control over there were so many uh, things that that we couldn't control but we were held responsible for if things went wrong. It was frustrating. It was frustrating knowing that, you know, my, my best assets is in the artist development, the early stages, helping an artist figure out who they are, helping them build an audience, helping them, you know, move forward in, in their career. My, what I suck at is I suck at the political stuff. I suck at having to hire and fire people. I suck at having to sit down in the meetings with the label and call BS when I know it's not right. That part's not fun. That part I didn't enjoy. And I also didn't enjoy being on the road. My last year with Taylor, I was gone 180. That was crazy. So I told you I'm driving as this is happening. And it went straight to the ground. I guess, you know, talking about Taylor, she got pissed, but oh oh well. So... As I was saying, let me set this back up here again. (laughs) My last year with her, I was gone 187 days. My daughter was four. My son was two. And I realized I was going to make more money than I've ever seen in my life. But at what expense? At that point, I also, uh, too, was almost 300 pounds. You know, I started having health issues. And I just realized that that's not why I got into this business. That's not what I loved. My health was more important. My family was more important and I gave my notice and decided to move on from there. Best decision uh, that I ever made. Uh, It was a time in my life that I will never forget. It was an opportunity that I was given to be a part of changing so many lives, being involved with her, and being a part of coming up with a lot of creative ideas that helped share her with the world. So, what I'll do is I will finish this story in the next episode. I don't wanna keep you too long, but I do wanna say thanks for uh, allowing me to ramble. Sometimes it's good to go back and look down memory lane. In the next episode, what I'll do is explain to you what happened next and what ultimately led me to creating the Music Industry Blueprint, watching families lose hundreds of thousands of dollars and being taken advantage of, and I will share all of that with you in the next episode if this is your first time and you got through this bless your heart uh head on over to the website if you haven't picked up a free copy of the book rickbarker.com we'll do that for you uh while you're there if you're an artist and you haven't taken the assessment do so kind of identify where you currently are in your career and i'll give you some things that can help move you to that next level you guys have yourself a great rest of your day and i'll talk to you on the next episode channel. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Remember, there is no one-size-fits-all model when it comes to the music industry. So check out my website, rickbarker.com, take the quiz, and I will send you information specific to you to help make sure that you are on the right track. You've been listening to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast with Rick Barker. You can follow Rick on Twitter at RickBarkerMusic. And remember, you don't drown by falling into the water, you drown by staying there.